Welcome to the Dad's Podcast, discussions about dad stuff. I am Dan Pelham, founder of the Solo Dad Movement and host of the Dad's Podcast. Feel free to reach out to me and share your story at thesolodadmovement.com, email thesolodadmovement at outlook.com, Facebook, the Solo Dad Movement, Instagram, the underscore solo underscore dad underscore movement, Twitter at the Solo Dad Move One. In this podcast, I will be interviewing dads and men from all walks of life in hopes that maybe someone will hear their story and understand that they are not alone. I want to shift fatherhood from boys don't cry, tough it out, and the disciplinarian to a place of love, empathy, and understanding from men who are willing to share their stories and feelings with others. I really hope you enjoy this journey into what it means to be a dad. Yeah, my name is Chad Zook, and I live in Dublin, Georgia, but originally I'm from Illinois, kind of bounced around a little bit, and my wife and I have been married for 25 years. We have two kids. We have a 23-year-old son who has recently moved out over like the last month, which is <laughs> awesome. Uh, it's awesome for him and awesome for me, and uh, for my wife and I just, uh, you know, kind of like breathe easy a little bit. Hey, it works. Right. Right. You raise them and send them. So that's a, that's a good thing. And then my daughter's 16 and of course yeah. she's here and all of that. So super close family. We've been around a little bit, served uh, in the Navy right out of high school, did four years in the Navy, was stationed in Jacksonville, Florida, then moved back to Illinois, went to college and uh, actually worked on airplanes. I was in the aviation industry for about 10 years prior to doing what did I, what I do now. Yes. Yeah. And what do you do now? I actually pastor a church in Georgia, definitely not the path I would have thought for my own life. Uh, I wasn't even raised in church or anything. So it was always, honestly, it was through uh, becoming a dad that yeah. I can really connect it back to this. It's, it's been uh, an amazing ride. Nice. So how were you raised? Like, how were your parents? Were they married? Were they strict? Yeah, my parents uh, were married whenever I was born. My mom and dad divorced when I was four and was, uh, you know, it was just kind of like the kid who almost was just like wayward trying to find my way. And it seemed like I just, I was a good kid. Most people saw that I was a good kid, but man, I was lost as can be. I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to be a man. I didn't know how to be a dad whenever it came to being a dad. And I didn't know how to treat ladies and there was so much brokenness even in my my upbringing my mom actually left and so my dad got full custody and my dad raised us you know but he comes from the old school where uh, you know you hide your emotions and all of that kind of stuff the lie that many men believed in that generation and then I was the one who I had emotions so I felt like I was the oddball Right. I was like, now I feel like you guys act like you don't feel a thing. And like, for me, like <laughs> I feel everything, like what is going on? So right. I had some maturity to, uh, you know, I had to go through some maturity, but then also part of it was just the, uh, me growing to understand, no, it's okay that, that there's an element of, of sharing emotions, you know, emotions, you, you, you need emotions, but yet you can't be controlled by emotions. Right. So that was, uh, you know, and they're a gift. I mean, emotions are a gift to be able to empathize and, and give compassion and to, to love my, my wife and my kids well and, and all of that. So 
yeah, I was kind of the wayward kid trying to figure out what it was that I was supposed to do in life. And I have a lot of people in the, in my family who served time in the military. So that seemed like a pretty good path. And then also watching Top Gun, uh, right. <laughs> you know, the whole flight deck and Tom Cruise. And I was like, I knew I didn't want to fly, but I really wanted to be on an aircraft carrier and wanted to work on jets. So that's what I had an opportunity of doing. I worked on F-18s. It was great, you know, fed my family for years. And that's what I went to school for after that. And so it was kind of a cool ride. Yeah. Did you retire from the military or? No, 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 no. Just did the four years. And I, yeah. I, I knew that I would not be able to stay married and be in the Navy because okay. out of my uh, four year enlistment, I was either gone or at sea for two years right. in right. the first, you know, the first four years of our marriage. We, uh, we dated in high school, got married right out of uh, my boot camp going into, or out, out of my uh, schooling right after boot camp into my duty station. So right. okay. we had no honeymoon. So we're still kind of waiting on that 25 years. <laughs> well, the kids moved out. So maybe they'll be one soon. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So did your son go to college or? Yeah, he, uh, he took a, uh, an interesting path and he's still going to school. He's going to HV, uh, HV and AC school right now. So okay. he did right out of high school. He went and did a gap year in the Dominican Republic. Oh, and that nice. was great. Uh, it was great for him, just his, you know, shaping his character and who he was and getting outside of the context of where we live. And that stretched him. He came back and went to work and did some schooling, just trying to kind of find his own way, really, uh, when he was living here. And, and then eventually he signed up for the Georgia Army National Guard. And so he graduated from boot camp uh, at the end of last year. And now he's in the Georgia Army National Guard, kind of following the family's footsteps, a lot of people in the military so in, in, uh, in our lineage. So, so yeah, he, he is currently going to school and then also doing that and working. So he has his hands full. Yeah, and manages his own place. So he's got a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then you said having kids brought you to religion and being a pastor. Like, how did that all come to fruition? Yeah, I, uh, interesting ride. I mean, going into our marriage, I really didn't know. I guess it's kind of a similar story with a lot of guys. You just really don't know what to do or who to be. And right. as a man or as a dad, you know, when, the, when uh, we found out we were having my son, and the only thing I knew growing up is, is I knew that I wanted to get married young and I wanted to have kids and I wanted to kind of grow up with them and have a lot of energy and, uh, and all that to, to, to be active. My dad wasn't as active as I wanted him to be. So right. it was, it was kind of like the pendulum swung the other way where I thought, man, I want to be into everything. So, uh, a friend of ours, uh, they were actually having a baby at the same time invited us into the church. And again, I didn't grow up in the church, like a regular attender in the church or anything, invited us into this church and they just really cared for us. And eventually it, it, uh, what drew me in was I realized that I was after, you know, the, the reality of my son, I was like, I have no idea of how to raise a son. I mean, I, I could read books on how to be a dad, but there's never been a book written on how to parent my son. 
right. you know right. so, Absolutely. so it was I was incredibly overwhelmed and and yet part of that that community of faith there in Jacksonville they just took care of us and they invited us into their space and there was a, a men's group to start a gathering I believe it was on Tuesday nights and they were going through some called Promise Keepers many moons ago it, their Promise Keepers is at a, a new launch so this was like back in the 90s incredible stuff stuff I'd never heard permission to be a man kind of instructions on how to be a man and right. that through that uh, it was I realized that that my dad wasn't perfect that he was deeply flawed and I realized that the whole time that that ultimately God was my father right so in that he had been fathering me the whole time I realized how kind of out there that may sound to somebody who's not a person of faith but that's one of the the main ways that people connect with God is God as a father right uh, so and it's he's the perfect father yeah so oftentimes we attribute God as the father as just by the model of father that we've had, which is a, isn't fair because I mean, all of us are flawed and I believe that God is not flawed. Right. So, so as far as your dad, do you think he did the best he knew how raising you guys? hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I, he, he did. I, I was that emotional kid. So I was like trying to find my way and I knew that there was something broken within me and I, I just couldn't talk to him about that stuff, which right. bothered me a lot. Right. And I really didn't have anyone to talk to, but I know that he tried. And, you know, in, in his, the version of fatherhood for him was he worked hard. And by raising this, he worked hard and, and he gave us, you know, clothes on our back and we went to school. And, and one of the things that my dad uh, taught me is just a strong work ethic. Right. So, and I just, think, I mean, I had the same kind of dad, you know, you go to work, you come home. My mom had dinner on the table and she cleaned the house and took care of the kids. You know, they were married for 50 years. My dad passed away last year, wow. but you know, I mean, again, it wasn't a per se male role model, Yeah. you know, unless that role model was from 1954. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, it wasn't, there was no feelings. There was never an apology. There was never an, I love you. There wasn't any of that. It was just, this is how life works. You mirror what I do and you'll be all right. Yeah. You know, when I look back now and I wonder how truly happy these men were, hmm. like what their definition of happiness was, you yeah. know, like if I'm bringing home the bacon and there's a roof over our head and there's food and there's clothes, is that enough? Was that enough satisfaction for these men of that time? And it might have been. But then you look at guys like us and we're like, dude, that is not enough. Like there's way more to this life than just bringing home money and putting a roof over your head yes some of that i think is generational uh, right. I'm, you and i are close to the same age so we're gen xers and they uh you know the boomer uh I, right. yeah I believe that would be yeah, the boomer, baby boomer yeah um you know it seems like every generation is raised with the knee-jerk it almost has a knee-jerk reaction to the previous generation right so you know, he, he just received and you know, likely your dad just received the narratives from their upbringing. Right. You know, and so I, you know, I've made other mistakes as a dad. I've countered them and saying, well, I want to be, you know, I, there's so many times where I just wanted my dad to be in the stands, you know, when I was pitching or I was catching or playing basketball or right. whatever sport I was doing. And my dad couldn't, he was working. He himself at the time was an EMT. So he was always on call. He was just, just wasn't as available uh, relationally or emotionally. Right. 
that, uh, that I needed at the time. So I countered that with my son and I was like, I'm going to double down on this. I'm going to be involved in everything, you know? Right. Uh, when, when my son was in utero, I, I read, you know, what to expect while you're expecting, right. which is primarily a woman's book or a mother's book. But I, but I want, I'm like, what do I, you know, what is this? So I was involved through the whole process. Right. I mean, every part, every aspect of my kid's life, I was there for the diapers and the feeding, everything that I could do. I was there. And then I, I, now I reflect back and I was like, sometimes I was too close. Right. Okay. I always tried to be the coach. I always tried to be the, you know, I always tried to be so close. And if I wasn't the coach, I had the coaches here, <laughs> you know, and, right. and what I found out, unfortunately, through the, through this journey is oftentimes I just was specifically with my son. It's different with my daughter. I was just wanting my son to live the life that I wanted to live. Right. And, but that wasn't his path. That's not, right. it's not his life. His likes are different. And so that, that was, that was kind of bumpy. It was, it was hard for me of kind of shocking. I was like, what, you don't want to play baseball? And I'm like, no, we love baseball. And it was <laughs> like this internal narrative is like, no, you love baseball. Right. You know? Right. And I so, think that's a, that's something a lot of parents deal with is, you know, what did I not have a kid that I need to provide to my son? or my child, you know, and again, like I'm working very hard on the whole, listen to your kid. You know, what does my kid want to do? What is, what's going to make my kid happy? Not what do I want to do? You know, do I know what I want from my kid? Absolutely not. Like, but when it comes down to the end of the day, I want him to grow up happy in every aspect of his life, whatever that means to him. If he lives on a in a van on the beach and surfs for the rest of his days. Awesome. Like good for you. You know, if he goes to college and he becomes, super smart engineer and makes millions like whatever makes him happy right i'm working on but like it took a while because i would say like he lost he lost well i got full custody when he was four mm-hmm. and his mom was pretty much out of the picture at that point and she passed away last year so mm-hmm. i've had him and i've raised him by myself and a lot of times it was you know again my dad's influence like oh i want to get my hair cut oh i want to pierce my ears and i'm like eh i don't know you know and i'd let him do it just because i knew it was a fight between me and my dad right you know but like the hair thing i'm like oh no and finally one of my friend's moms was like do you understand this isn't your journey at all hmm. and i was like i mean that to me like the most profound statement i'd heard in my kids existence i was like wow you're right 100% right like Cause I can remember I got my ear pierced in sixth grade and there were places my dad wouldn't take me. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't going out in public with my dad with an earring in my head. Like that was just, yeah, yeah no way. Not going to happen. You want to wear that earring? Fine. I'm not going out with you in public, mm-hmm. you know, and my kid, it didn't bother me, but like, even now he wears mismatched socks. My mom came over and she's like, can you please put socks on that match? And I was like, mom, what does it matter? And she's like, I just, it bugs me. Well, he went into his room, changed his socks and put on mismatched shoes. You know, came back out and awesome. yeah, you know, I mean, that was, yeah, that's who he is. I'm like, you know, if you don't want to go, that's fine, but yeah. don't make my kid change because you're uncomfortable with the way he is. Right. You know, that's something that I'm working very hard on. And I have two older stepkids that I'm very much trying to teach. Like there's no answer that's correct. College isn't the answer. Vocation. Happiness is the answer that you need to focus on. Like whatever makes you happy, that's where you need to take your life. And that took me 42 years of, not being happy. Yeah. And I view it a little differently, perhaps a lot differently. 
to, and I understand the, the, the measure of happiness in wanting, you know, kids right. to, to turn out and, you know, we don't want them to chase the same things that our generation did. Our generation says, man, if you can, you know, you turn 18, 19, you get all these offers in the mail for credit cards. You can have everything right now. You can have the <laughs> furniture right now, the car right now, the house right now. And in that, what's great is, and now I, I work with students as well as men. So it's interesting to see their perspective because right. their perspective is totally different than ours. Their perspective now is we want purpose. Right. So, so I would say with like with my kids, it isn't a matter of, of, for me anyway, the, the, what I talk to my kids about is it isn't happiness that I'm, I want them to have. I want them to live a life that's fulfilling through like to fulfill their purpose. Right. And, and to always uh, have a good base of character to me, like who they become is so much more important than what they do, which I think you and I have commonality with this. I'm so interested in, in who they become, which is why I, I sit back and happiness to me, and you may, you may mean this in what you're saying, but to right. me, with your happiness, it, it imply, it, it can imply so many things. So I don't want them to settle for, man, I'm going to chase happiness and lose character. I want them, them to have good character. Again, you know, living in the van down by the river, whatever the case, right. whatever right. it is, right. um, you know, I want them to have a, a character that shines. Right. Right. And, and with my son, like, I've noticed he's always been very empathetic. Mm -hmm. I mean, in kindergarten, he came home and wanted to give Christmas away to a kid in his class that was a stinky kid. Yeah. You know, I mean, he didn't understand, like, oh, their mom can't provide new clothes and can't provide everything for this kid. I did. He didn't. He sure. just knew it was picked on and smelled bad. You know, mm -hmm. but he came home and was like, can I just give my Christmas to this kid? And then every year since then, we've given a family Christmas that we didn't build a family. We just give the gifts to the school and they provide them to the family. It's awesome. You know, third grade he came home and one of his friends was being bullied he's like you have to come in and help because i don't know what to do so we started a program in his third grade class called be nice and we went and worked on their class on how to be a better human and a better you know less bullying and that kind of thing so i totally agree with the character thing it's just not something that i guess i've questioned in my children mm -hmm. you know they're not it's not like oh man this kid's definitely going down the wrong path <laughs> you know it's not their characters and something i've ever had to say oh geez and like with losing their mom, that was never something that to them was an excuse or a crutch. I've never heard my kids, oh, well, this sucks because I lost my mom or I can't do this because I lost my mom. Like right. you can do whatever you want in your attitude basis on how things go. You know, right. did you get dealt a shitty hand to begin with? For sure. <laughs> you know, but can you overcome that? Yes. And I can't even begin to relate because I still have my mom at 43 years old. Right. You know, and like when I lost my dad, like it was upsetting to me, but I also looked at my kids and was like, you know, I had 43 years with my dad. Like mm -hmm. these guys had such limited time with their mom. Like, how can I be anywhere close to upset about, you know, like, yes, it's sad that my dad's gone, but I lived my whole life with the man. Right. And we didn't have a very good relationship at all. Like we didn't talk for a decade. Wow. And it wasn't anger or hate. It was just, we didn't have anything to say to each other. He was very much a perfectionist and you're going to do it my way. And even if you do it my way, I'm probably going to tell you, you did it wrong. That's how I was raised. So finally I was just like, fine, I won't talk to you. <laughs> like hmm. if you can't support me. I'm not going to talk to you. Then I never wanted kids. Like you said, you'd wanted kids your whole life. And you knew that hmm. I knew growing up, like my parents had a foster home and the kids came in and out all day. 
I knew I didn't want kids. Like that was never something on my radar. I got their mom pregnant when I was 32. And as soon as he was born, like I knew that was my purpose. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like it was just a huge transfer. Like I knew as soon as I held him that, okay, this is why I'm here. And I'd never missed it. But like you said, you know, you were kind of lost. You didn't have a whole lot of purpose. Yeah. Like I was through my twenties and thirties. I did drugs. I partied. I worked at bars. Like I just had fun right. with no recollection of the consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't worry about the consequences. I just had fun. And then I had my kid and you have, I have friends from when I was back in that day. They're like, dude, I would have never guessed. You could have bet me a million dollars that you would not have been a good dad. Like I would have never said you would have been a good dad and you're the best dad that I know as example, you know, but I also understand like this is, I mean, my older kids, I, when their mom got sick, I said, I'm going to be here for all of you. I chose to be with your mom. Like you're her kids. Like you're my kids. You know, we've never raised them as stepkids. Like they obviously don't live with me, but we live in the same town. We see each other. I do all their sporting events. You know, I do everything I can for them, but it was something where, yeah, it was just my purpose was to be a dad. And I spent 32 years call what you want, but denying that purpose, mm-hmm. you know, and now I'm looking at, the problems with the generation behind us, the millennials and my kids and how do we grow complete kids that are emotional and masculine. And, mm-hmm. you know, like another podcast I did, the guy said, you know, most men are the letter C and he's mm-hmm. like, if you can become letter O and be a complete human being and recognize all of your feelings and emotions and everything that's entailed in being a human, then you're much more, it's much more purposeful for everything. And when I said happiness, you know, I want, I think, I guess I found my happiness through my purpose. So -hmm. that's where I relate to my kids that I want them to be happy. Well, I do want their life to be purposeful. You know, I mean, I would Mm -hmm. hope that you're not going to spend 50 years surfing at the beach with nothing accomplished. Mm -hmm. But again, like I wouldn't do anything about, you know, I wouldn't be upset about that. I mean, if that's what you chose, like, okay. You know, I would hope that there's more purpose in your life. And I think I see it in all my kids. You know, I think I see the empathy and the sympathy and the compassion for humans that mm-hmm. it's not something I even consider worrying about, mm-hmm. you know? And again, they're, my youngest is 10, so who knows where he's going to be in five years or, yeah, yeah. you know, when he hits the teenage years and he's like, yeah, okay, time to he rebel. <laughs> right? Absolutely. 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 So how is your, I mean, how is the difference between raising a son and a daughter for you? Man, it's day and night. Yeah, I, I have made it a purpose to be close to both kids. Right. But parenting them is different uh, when the discipline side of it is different. And I could just naturally, I mean, this is what most people probably say. I was tougher on my son. I mean, when as soon as he was old enough to walk, we were wrestling. I wanted him to right. know. I wanted him to feel strength and I wanted him to know what strength under control looks like. Right. Because, you know, my job as, as a dad is to help him develop his masculine strength. Because if, if a man doesn't know what his strength is used for, he's either going to abandon it or he's going to abuse it. Right. And most of the time he's either going to abandon it and he's just going to be totally disconnected. He's going to live in a hobby or live at work, or he's going to, you know, live at the bar or he's going to live at the ball games or do or video, in video games. And he's going to be disconnected from his family. Right. You know, or abuse it. And then he'll just manipulate his wife or girlfriend or 
uh, do those kinds of things. So I wanted my son to, to grow up at an early age knowing that, wow, okay, dad, dad is powerful and yet it's under control. Right. So, you know, the way that looks is I'm not going to say that I never raised my voice, but I never raised my hand. Right. Now, we, we do believe back then we did believe in traditional spanking right. as, as a disciplinary way to do it. And we did do that. And it, and it worked for my son. I can tell you when my daughter was coming up, different ball game. She right. was uh, almost sounds like your son. My daughter was incredibly strong willed. And what I found about somebody who's strong willed is it's not your job to break that will but to right. bend it toward good character. Right. And so with my daughter, there's a story that my wife and I tell. My wife uh, just gave her a spanking. I have no idea how many years, that was so many years ago, 10 years <laughs> more right. ago. Like just, just wore out, you know, spanking her hind end. And then literally my wife's hand is just like numb. Right. My daughter just turns around and just laughs. <laughs> It's like, it was in that moment where we realized, oh man, this is a whole, thing. we're not going to be able to discipline in this way. So we did it in other ways. She's, she was and is very social. So we would do the traditional timeout, just face in the corner, just stand there, look at the corner. Right. Don't look at me, look in the corner. And I'll tell you, back in those days, I could use the traditional form of spanking. Like, like I said, never abusing, never cross the face. That's right. just ridiculous um, and wrong with traditional spanking and, and disciplining in that way. And we could do it in that and, and it had no effect. It would just harden her resolve. Right. That when we would put her in the corner, just put her nose in the corner, she'd melt in 30 seconds. Right. Yeah. And, and then it was like, what did I do wrong? You know, and then come back and then we'd, we'd be able to sit and talk about it and, and, and go, but it was totally different, you know, totally different. I'm still more direct and firm with, with my son, right? And not because he's 23, but I am. Of course, my role now as a dad's different. Now, I'm not correcting his behavior. I'm just kind of the guide on the side, so to speak. Right. You know, I'm like, you know, he comes to me. He's like, hey, I have these things to do, and I just kind of, okay, well, he, he, here's your here's the decision you need to make, and I'm just going to help guide you toward wisdom. But it's up to you to make this make this decision. With my daughter, their personality types are way way different. And my daughter is, she happens to have my personality type. So I know how to speak to her and I know how to be gentle and tender to her. And then also I know when to be firm with her. Right. But it's definitely not the same as when <laughs> my son was 16. Right. No, for sure. I hear you. And then as far as uh, your mom goes, like, do you speak to her? Do you know her now as an adult? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a summary of events uh, without all the years. But sure. uh, I said that my parents divorced when I was four and then she left and she lived just the wildlife for a few years and was making some very bad choices for herself and um, getting involved in people who were physically abusive and just tragic. She ended up uh, marrying a gentleman who went, uh, he was in during Vietnam, but then he got out and then he went back in in the 80s well, she married him and then they went off. So I felt abandoned twice. Right. Where the original abandonment when they divorced and then she got custody, excuse me, she got 
uh, visitation rights every couple of weeks. And then when she uh, married, what was her, her husband of which she had for the longest time, um, they up and moved to Virginia. So it's like, it was like, I felt abandoned all over again. She's like, Hey, you know, I'll see you at summer and Christmas. I'm like, what? You know? <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, Absolutely. and it bothered her too, but it really bothered me because now I actually have words. All I had back then was just resentment and hurt and anguish and emotions and anger. Right. And uh, so then uh, we did somewhat restore a relationship later on. It was still rocky. And, and then after I got married, there was, there was one defining thing that happened right after my wife and I got married. And that really defined my mom's, uh, the relationship that my mom and I had up until she died. She died a couple of years ago and she took her own life. I'm sorry. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of, of regret and just remorse and, you know, I wish I could have done something and, and all of that. There's nothing else I can do, but right. move on. And so many questions that I'm not going to have answers to. And I just, you know, in those right. situations, you have to move on. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, do you think going through, I mean, and I'm asking this because again, I can't comprehend what my children are going through mm -hmm. and I know it's not, you know, it's not the same, but in right. some respects it is, you know, and my question to you, I mean, do you think that made you, obviously it made you who you are, but do you think that built strength? I mean, all that resentment, all that anger, like as an adult, do you see that as something that built strength in you or do you still harbor all of that? I mean, where are you at as an adult with looking back and saying, okay, you know, this wasn't something I can control, right. but it was still my mom and it still sucked. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, part of that journey of actually becoming, becoming a Christian, um, that all of that, I, I realized that so much of that, you know, so much of, of me was just broken. It, I would say that it really, it, it fuels my work with a new kind of man. Okay. Uh, with what I'm doing now for men, I can tell you is because the healing that's happened from all of that brokenness. Right. And, so my, the, the, my website is be a new man. And that ultimately is what God has brought me to and through after all of that brokenness. Right. So I was just kind of stuck in a cycle for a long time. Again, kind of the emotive, uh, tried to show like I was strong, but I was really just, man, I was paper thin, right. you know, hard exterior, but it was so, so thin and right. brittle. So I would say now that it, it has absolutely helped me to be the man that I am. And now this is the, the very thing that fuels my passion because now I can, I connect, I understand what that's like, but also I understand that most men and dads are still stuck in the anger phase. Right. So what fuels me is to encourage guys to say, no, you know, what happened to you? Some of that wasn't your fault. Maybe some of it was your fault, but there's a way out. Right. You know, ultimately, I believe that the way out is not by more self, but I believe it's kind of denying, denying that the false self and allowing God to fulfill those voids. Right. And, and in doing so, it's just there's there's a true strength that that I found in my life that has been uh, really kind of brought forth that I never knew existed. And it didn't happen instantaneously. You know, it's not like some 
magical. Well, now you just found God or found religion and all of those. I mean, it isn't like that. It's definitely a process just as healing is a process. You know, right now I have a broken foot. So <laughs> right. It's a process as much as I remember when it happened. I don't remember the sound of the bone cracking as it severed, right. but it's a process to healing and, and not to minimize wounds, but wounds take time to heal. Right. Absolutely. And sometimes they do heal fast and sometimes it's slow. Right. So, uh, even there was a, there was a, a wound that I just realized cause I, I I'm huge into kind of self discovery and digging in and, and kind of going into, to become the man that God wants me to be. Um, so I'm very much a, a practitioner of everything that you see me putting out on Instagram or on, on the website I'm, and in other podcasts. It's like, I'm very much a practitioner still. I'm right. not like the expert, you know, in the ivory tower. I'm, right. I'm in it, you know? Yep. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely shaped who I am. And hopefully now I can say that I'm a better man for it. But it wasn't just because all of a sudden I figured it out. I, I think that it was, I was broken and ultimately I needed God to, to help heal me. Right. Well, and I can say I've been, I mean, through similar, like when their mom was sick. And I wouldn't say it was a conscious thing every day, but I probably spent seven years in depression. Wow. You know, just dealing with how do I help my kids cope with all the crap that's going on? Like their mom come in there, like their mom would leave their life. Their mom would disappoint them. She would just the never ending cycle of alcoholism and addiction. Yeah. You know, and I was an addict all the way up until a few years ago. Like I wow. smoked weed. I didn't drink much, but you know, like in my twenties and thirties, I did a lot of drugs. Once I had a kid, it calmed down to smoking weed, but still it was an addiction that I turned to to say, okay. I don't have to deal with everything going on. I can just yeah. get high, you know, just kind of a numbing effect. Is that, it was just right. a coping mechanism, right? It was, yeah, absolutely. You know, just something where I didn't have to deal with all of it. I could just get high and pretend like everything was okay. And, right. you know, like on the outside, like you said, be super strong and people will be like, how do you deal with it? And I'm like, God, oh, it's just my story. Like it's my life. I have to, you know, but in 2018, her mom took her, my, the kid's grandma took her life, hmm. you know, and then that was in, January in April, my dad passed away. And then October, their mom passed away. So in 2018, yeah, it was a lot, but like that was honestly, like it was a hard year to survive. But after I got through it all and I realized that everyone is okay, you know, obviously we're going to have years of dealing with it in therapy and sure. you know, I wouldn't say everyone's okay, but everyone's surviving and everyone's still thriving in their life. They're getting good grades. They're succeeding in school. You know, things are going to come up. But I realized then one, my dad passing away was the best blessing in my life because mm -hmm. now I don't have anyone whose expectations I have to fulfill. Mm -hmm. And I did it subconsciously for 40 years. Like everything I did was to make sure to maybe hear my dad say he was proud of me or maybe hear my dad say, I love you. Like yeah, every, know. right. You know, everything I did was for that. And now I know my mom supports me no matter what. Same deal. I call my mom tomorrow and say, I'm selling the house. I'm moving into a van. We're going to live down by the river and I'm going to homeschool my kids. She'd be like, well, not my journey, but if that's the one you need to take, yeah. I guess, you know, and I also figured out with their mom passing, like the depression, you know, like I had to move on beyond. Okay. You know, and everyone while she was sick was like, dude, just move on. Like you're not with her. You have custody of your kid. Well, I could never close that chapter because it was never finished. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, 
always an effect in my life. And yeah, like, could I move on? Sure. But I still have my kids every day that I have to deal with how they're reacting with their mom, how they're dealing with it. Sure. So it wasn't something that you can just be like, Oh, go ahead move on. Mm-hmm. You know, and I started, I'd say, I don't know, late last year working on what I'm doing now with this podcast and helping other men go through whatever process it is, divorce, separation, loss, mm-hmm. all of those steps where I'm not a professional. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. Like I'm not in this to make you a better person. What I am is to help you understand that there is a possibility to be a better person. Right. You know, that's up to you. I mean, if you put the work oh, in, like geez. you said, it's a process. Yeah. It's a daily process of waking up and saying, okay, today's going to be better than yesterday. And my attitude's going to be an optimistic one. And there are days where I'm like, nope, not today. (laughs) Today's going to suck. You know, that whole approval, the whole approval of your dad thing that you shared. And I really appreciate you sharing that, that, I mean, I could say that's what I tried to do for years. Right. And, you know, and I'll be 45 next month and I can tell you, man, a strong 30 some odd years. That's kind of, I was like, I just wanted him to say good job. I just wanted a whatever phone call. Hey, I appreciate what you do. I, you know, I, now I feel like, uh, as I reflect back, I'm like so many of the things that I was doing, maybe even going into the military was a way of getting affirmation that it just hadn't come or uh, in the way that I wanted anyway, he showed up in my you know, my graduations, he showed up when I got off deployments. I mean, he did those kinds of things, but it was, I was just one of that, you know, man, good job. And it just didn't come. I wanted that for when I was a little kid. It's like, right. I a kid out and I wanted my dad to be the one standing up in the bleachers and say, yeah, that's my son. And it just, it's not him. Right. No. And I think that was a problem with a lot of that generation of men. Yeah. And I don't think they realized it was a problem. Nope. You know what they I mean? Like themselves. Right. Like my dad showed up when I needed him. I got arrested. My dad bailed me out. I got into a motorcycle accident where I almost died. My dad was in the emergency room. Like the times I needed my dad to be there, he was absolutely there. But on 43 years on this planet, I can't look back and tell you one time he said, I love you ever. You know, it wasn't something that was ever said. I sat with him for the last six weeks of his life. Almost daily, I'd go visit him and sit and talk with him. And all four of my sisters came over. All the grandkids came over. People from his church came over and every single person that came in got an I love you. And at no point did I ever get one. But then after he passed, I also realized like at no point did I ever say it to him. Mm. You know what I mean? So where's the problem? Like he knew, he assumed I knew, you know, it was never something. I don't think he ever questioned. I don't think he ever thought that that was a question. to, To him, it sounds like, well, He's like, of course I loved you. I, I worked hard for you. I fed right. you. I put right. clothes on your back, you know? Right. I showed up when you needed me. Right. Like, what do you want? You know, I don't need to tell you I love you all the time where I'm doing the opposite. Like you said, my kid hears I love you 20 times a day. Right. We leave each other's presence. All my kids, when we leave, it's like, hey, I love you. See you later. Right. You, you know, know, for me, it's a matter of like what I what I want to do is I want to be a fully integrated man. I want to be able to... I want my my spiritual life to connect to my emotional life, to connect with my my strength and physicality with right. that relationally. I want I want to be fully integrated. I want to be able to use every part of me. And I think that generation, they just dismissed. It was, it was a sign of weakness. It was the whole John Wayne generation. Right. right. Be rough and tumble, keep distance, you know, but and that that whole 
persona, if you will, uh, right. being like a John Wayne type of man. But for me, what I'm striving to do, and, and imperfectly, but what I'm trying to do is be fully integrated to where, you know what, if where I, I in one situation can, you know, I can hug my, my wife or I can hold her hand or give her a kiss in public. I don't care what, I don't care what people think just right. because you don't. I mean, it's going to be appropriate and all that, but even me as a pastor now, I'm like, I just, that's my wife. Right. These are my kids. So we do say, I love you, but yet on the other, you know, then I also want to be able to go into the gym and I want to prove some things to myself physically. And I do that and it, when it comes to just connecting just, just relationally to my wife. I want to be present then without feeling like I don't know what to do or hiding emotionally. I just want to be present. I want right. to be present with, with friends that I have, you know, but be fully present instead of, well, we, we're not going to talk about that. No, let's talk about it. Right. And that's, that's, that's a big thing that we need to figure out because I think, one, we went from the John Wayne generation. Yeah. To an overcoddled generation. Yes. You know, like I wasn't loved, so I'm going to overlove my kid. And there's eighth place trophies, and right. there's not keeping score, and nobody wins. Like, mm. you know, but I think both of those scenarios have led us to 90% of the problems we have as issues in America. Yeah. You know, gun control was not an issue in the John Wayne era. Right. It wasn't. But those kids feeling unloved and moving on with their lives and not knowing how to love others made it an issue. You right. know what I mean? Eighth yeah. place trophies never existed when we were kids. Right. Ever. You either won or you lost. That was it. Yeah. You know, fights, they existed when we were kids. Yeah. You had a problem with someone, you fought. Chances are next week you guys were friends. Yeah. You know, now you can't even fight. Like there's it's an assault charge on a ten year old if you get right. into a fist fight. It's like, are you kidding me? Like there well, needs to be some sort of balance, and that's what I'm trying to figure out through other dads and through other this conversation is yeah. how do we as the parenting role of the society and men find that balance and pass that to our generate to the kids? Mm-hmm. You know, I would like nothing more than my grandkids to be like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean we didn't feel? Like, right. how do you not have feelings? Like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> you know, but I don't. I want to figure out how to get there and what the solution is from where we are to where we need to be. Right. You know, and is it a possibility even? I mean, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping through conversations like this and through podcasts like this that, yeah, we can make a bigger difference. Yeah. I think a lot of times they just, they just need permission. Right. It's, they need it modeled. So they, your kids, they need it modeled. Specifically, I'll talk about little boys or boys generally. Right. Right. They need it modeled. They are more is is caught than taught, right. as the saying goes. They're watching all the time. They're just they're a little video camera, and they're just receiving data, and they're gathering data. Oh, this is what it means to be a man. This is how this is how men do it. You know, this is what it's, this is what I should expect. We model that more is caught than taught. So you can say whatever you want until you're blue in the face. But if you have terrible character as a dad. Your son is going to have terrible character outside of some big life, you know, event. Right. They're going to turn out to be like you. Right. And what I've said many times is what what you can expect of your kids is they're going to have the best of you and the worst of you. Right. So it's, 
the, the things that we, that we look at our kids and we say, oh, I really wish they didn't do that. More times than not, it's because it's in us and we haven't been able to fix it in us, but yet we find it out in, in our kids. Right. No, that makes sense. Did you know your grandfather on your dad's side? Nope. Okay. Because like I never knew my grandfather on my dad's side and I've always wondered, like going through this experience, I've always wondered like how rough, I mean, it was their life, so they didn't look at it as rough, I'm assuming. Yeah. But how, what a cold, gray life to live in growing up as our parents. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, and I realized like that was their life and it wasn't, I mean, I don't remember my dad ever complaining or being like, you know, life was tough. Like, you know, yeah. it was hard. Like it wasn't something I ever heard, but then you look at, like you said, you know, your kids turn into you. Well, I'm hoping to everything I know that I don't turn into my dad and my kid becomes something so much better than anything I've ever been. Right. You know, I mean, that's the difference I think in our generation compared to theirs is we're hoping that, okay, something has to change and it has to be different. Like we have to have emotions. Yeah. yeah and it's that modeling. I think that's, I think that's the core of it. It's like what you model is, is ultimately what they're going to gravitate toward and it's what they're going to become. So, right. you know, and I, with, with my son, it's he'd be right in the millennial camp and man i made so many mistakes and and he was so different he was different than me but yet he was very very similar to me mm -hmm. and so i what i tried to model him uh, model to him rather was this is how you respect a woman right men add security in the home if there's a if there's a strange sound or knock in the middle of the night it's the man who gets up to address it Right. They have a physical strength to be you to be uh, to be used to help sacrifice for those who are in your home. Right. And to add physical like to add physical strength when needed. Right. Sometimes that physical strength is you're opening the jar that nobody else in the house can open. <laughs> you feel like the winner because you can. Right. Like, I, find, I, I got to be the one who opened the, the jar of ragu, you know, or whatever. Right. Right. And then sometimes it's that bump in the night where you're like, man, I'm scared to death, <laughs> but I'm the man. So I right. get up and, 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 and all of that. And, and even, and here's the thing in that instance, if something, there's a bump in the night, if give you an example, if there's a bump in the night and my son was here and he was, you know, he was 13 instead of 23. Right. And so if, if all of that happened and there's a bump in the night and I hear it and I run and, and right. I run and hide in the bathroom. Right. It's not going to take very much for him to, to gain just to be conditioned by fear. Right. Instead of, okay, I'm afraid, but I'm going to move when I'm afraid instead of being fearful and frozen. Right. You know, there's fear both ways. It's a matter of what you do with that fear. Right. Absolutely. And I have, I mean, last year my kid came in from his room and he's like, dad, someone's knocking on my window. Right. You know? And I mean, I live in a very safe community. I've lived here my whole life. Mm -hmm. You know, like it wasn't something where I'm like, Oh, I'm sure there's someone outside knocking on your window, but getting up and going outside, that fear was still inside. You know, I'm like, what am I going to confront when I walk out here? Yeah. And of course there was nothing. You know? And I'm like, dude, you gotta like, you gotta go back to sleep. There's nothing out there. There's no nothing. Yeah. 10 minutes later, dad, someone's knocking at my window. And I'm like, all right, well, let's go. And I sat in his room, you know, with him for a half hour. And sure enough, something was knocking at his window. And I was like, what in the heck? So I walked back outside. And again, you know, the fear of what's, 
unknown sure. was there, but it wasn't, I wasn't, I'm like, dude, I live in a safe community. I know I'm not going to confront, I'm hoping I'm not going to confront another human trying to break in my house. Right. No, well, it was a stupid bat hitting the window, you know, mm-hmm. and I showed him, I'm like, look, like, yes, there's, you know, I brought it up. I'm like, we're all afraid, like, but all you have to do is figure out 90% of the time that there's nothing to be afraid of. Right. You know, and we've done that with, he's always been a risk taker. Like he got on the roof of Dairy Queen at four years old. Like he's always just pushed the limit of what I've even deemed. Okay, dude, you're kind of close to what I'm not okay with, (laughs) you know, but again, like I don't want to hinder that in the aspect of great things can happen if your limitations are further than every other humans, you know, if your fear is further than everyone else's then you're probably going to do better things or different things. Right. Yeah, and and to deny the fear to say, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of is just lying. Right, absolutely. You know, I mean, I don't care if you're six four. I'm not six four. I don't <laughs> care if you're six four and two sixty. You know, and you're just right. a strong dude. There's a bump in the middle of the night. Yeah, you may be able to op- physically overpower the person, but if they've got a weapon, right, a gun doesn't care if you're six four, two sixty. Right. Or they or they spent the morning smoking crack. Right. And you got no chance, you know, right. it's like, you can be as strong right. as you want. This guy's not going to quit. Right. Like, right. It, so, you know, that all takes, and then, so if I just run that whole scenario out, what happens over time is, oh, okay. Dad was real with his emotions. Like he was, he was afraid too. Okay. I was afraid. He was afraid, but he got up and did it anyway. Right. And then over time in those instances, it's like, you know what? Dad's strength can be trusted right dad is strong you know if you model that when they're little bitty kids and wrestle it on the floor and you know it's put it to you this way my son my son was a high school wrestler so there's many times where our living room when he was in high school was like full-on you know <laughs> full-on no mats but we right. would just go full out in the living room right and by the way my wife is fully supportive of that she didn't even care. <laughs> and watch and laugh and there's many times where we would, you know, just we'd rest all the time. But the way that I handled my son, when sometimes he handled me, <laughs> you know, when he's 17 and 18, right. was vastly different than when he was eight. Right. Oh, or absolutely. when he was two. Right. You know, but, but there's a continuum there. It's like, dad's physical strength it's like it can be trusted so when they're a little bitty and you, you hold them and you hold them tight and you know you play with them and so many studies i can't quote them right now so many studies around to show how it's beneficial for kids to actually have a little bit of like safe rough housing with dad so they learn uh, the same things i'm talking about with strength right. and trust and this is dad and wow it's different than mom right. you know mom is delicate and feminine and nice and just she's gentle and wow i love that but also that the aspect of the masculinity to being used in, in healthy ways. Right. So then, you know, when they're eight, it's the same thing. You sit down, well, you'd ramp it up just a little bit when they're eight. Right. But when he was 18, if I didn't ramp it up at least to where he was, (laughs) you were going to lose every time. I was, he was the one who was a high school wrestler, not me. Right. You know? Yep. Absolutely. For sure. Do you think your kids, I mean, it's easier now, I think, that they're adults, but you think they've always been able to feel like they could come to you and talk? I do. Yeah? And how do you think that became a part of your guys' relationship, being as it wasn't something you grew up with? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. For me, I would say that 
I've always, I've always tried to uh, be open with them. And, and I realized that as a dad, it's my job to open up the lines of communication with my son and daughter. It's my job. So many dads are waiting for somebody else to say something to them to, to bring that out of them. I realized a long time ago, and some of this is just naturally the way that I'm wired. Right. Like it just is. Uh, relationally, I'm just wired in that way. I want to be connected and all of that. But I would say there's a lot of intentionality through the years. So it was me initiating conversations. I had a lot of camping trips with both my son and daughter. Right. Separately and sometimes together. That was one of the things that, that I like to do, and I would just get them out. Right. Um, I also, when we lived in Florida, I mountain biked a lot. There were some great trails right around our house. Man, I still have videos. My daughter, she's on this little bitty, like, 12-inch bike. <laughs> and she's, you know, pigtails flying, and she's just, she's just going uh, full bore on these trails. And the trails, I mean, there was, like, things you'd go around, so she wasn't, like, going off, like, eight-foot right. drop. And stuff. But it's, like, all of these things. So I made it a point. To, to be with them. And if they wanted me to be with them doing something, I would do so. But then I would also want them to reciprocate that. And if I wanted to go on a camping trip, no, wasn't a possibility. Right. Even right. if in those years, it was like, ah, oh, do we really have to go? I didn't take no as an answer. Right. But the way that I leveraged that was I was, I was trying to be there for their games as much as I could. Right. All through my son, he was very active in high school and try to be there for as much as I, as I could, you know, right. my daughter now, the way this, it looks a little bit different. My daughter sings, they have like a singing group at her school okay. and it's like a band. So there's just a couple vocalists and that kind of thing. So there's literally three vocalists, but she's one of them and she sings every week. Well, I try and make it a point. I'm like, she's 16. She's a junior. I only have another year of this. So when I can, I go out and I, I, I want to go hear her sing because that's one of the things that she does and she's incredibly good at it. So my job is to connect with her and not to sit in my chair and expect all my kids to come to me. Right. And I'll model the same thing. Hopefully I'll model the same thing with my grandkids providing I have some. Right. And you understood, I mean, like you said, you know, you wouldn't take no as an answer for camping and I've gone through the same thing with the kids, you know, like, Hey, we're going to go to Yellowstone. Oh, blah, blah. You know, we're going to take a road trip. The yeah. funny thing is, like, you get so much resistance, and then after after that trip's over, they're like, well, that was the best time I've had in my life. Yes. Every single, like, I have never, ever gone on a vacation or a camping trip where my kids didn't, first of all, resist somewhat. Right. Uh, do we have to? At some point, they were like, really, do we have to? And yeah. every single time we got done, they're like, man, that was awesome. Yeah. You know, let's do it again. Like, when can we do it again? You know, so that was one thing that, again, similar with you. Where my kids, you know, it's, and you do, I think you relate. I've done several camping trips where I drove till I didn't have cell phone signal. Yeah. And I said, this is where we're going to camp right here. Well, we don't have signal. Perfect. Like, That's I don't want you on your stupid box. Like, I want you to sit and play games and camp and walk and hike and, yeah. you know, just detach from all the crap. Like, you yeah. don't need it. I promise. Well, you and I lived without it. So we understand that. These kids have no comprehension of yeah being able to survive without a phone in their hand. Right. You know, and yeah, you can that, was, that for a few days, but you can't, well, they'll never get what we had ever, you know, right. they'll never have the freedom of, I can just put my phone down. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I don't know how looking at having kids now, my eight year old, my 10 year old, 
I don't know how my mom just let me go all day with no way to get a hold of me. Right. You know, go out and play. Come back when the streetlights come on. That was pretty much how I lived my summers. And I was 10 or 11. Like, they had no way, no way to get a hold of me. No way. It wasn't like, oh, I could call a friend's house. Like, nope. I wonder if that's the way that she was raised. Right. Which is possible. She was like, no, that's just what you do. Kids play outside. I'll let you know when it's dinner time. Just be, I mean, it was the same thing growing up. I grew up in rural Illinois, right right in the middle of Illinois, uh, in the middle of, you know, rows of corn and rows of of soybeans. I mean, that was, but it was very much my upbringing. It's just, hey, you're out and and go outside, stay outside. I'll call you, you know, when it's time to come in, come in at dark, come in if you hear my voice. So if, if I was two blocks away and outside, didn't really matter as long as I could hear the voice. And there was a level of trust there. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I could theorize as to why, what the difference is. And, you know, I think it goes back to something I went through in one of my, or in, in my philosophy class, you know, ignorance is bliss. It's right. like you didn't hear about all the things that happen now to the degree and as fast. So right. it's, I think that we are just a fearful society now. I personally don't think the kids are any more in danger now than what we were when we were kids. Oh, I completely agree. I think the difference is we didn't know about it until the paper came out the next week. That's right. You know what I mean? The paper came out and you knew some kid got kidnapped one town over. Now we know every single bad thing that happens instantaneously the second it happened. Right. You know, some girl felt unsafe. Like there was an attempted kidnapping not far from my house, you know, and it's, a safe neighborhood where that stuff doesn't happen. Well, again, like that probably would have never, ever been reported when we were kids. We would have never known that even took place right. a mile away from me. And it's like the only, even the, even the, the only connection really that we had with that. Cause I wasn't reading the news. I wasn't reading the newspaper. Right. Um, is the mill carton. Right. Absolutely. Right? And it's like, you look at him and be like, Oh man, you felt bad for him. It's like, there was a disconnect because like wherever you were, it was like this kid was in like Wisconsin or Alabama or Idaho or something. You're like, that is terrible. Like I can't even believe this happened. But yet like you just finished drinking your milk and you're just like, well, it's like this, you know, there's still a disconnect where now it's, you know, we've got a neighbor where we live. It's not like a neighborhood watch, but it's like some Facebook community thing. No, it's, it's an app is what it, I don't even have it. It's, silly to me. I don't want another thing (laughs) for my phone, but it's like the people around us, they're like, you know, anything, any suspicious activity in our neighborhood and our neighborhood's incredibly safe. It's like any suspicious activity, well, be on the lookout and these, this, and this, it's like the suspicious activity could be, it could be, you know, a a cat jumped up on somebody's screen, right? They heard a sound and all of a sudden some, some person gets on their phone to the neighborhood app and it's like oh my goodness be careful people are trying to break into your house i'm like no that was a cat right or a gray van drove down three different streets right you know okay some contractor was lost like that's what the story was exactly no we turned it into oh man watch out for this guy in his van it's like are you kidding me like you know yeah total disconnect so all of a sudden it's like the van's going down the neighborhood and you're like yeah they're lost because they're actually you know contracted drivers for Amazon and, right. and ran new to it. <laughs> so they're right. like, they don't know, they don't know what to do, you know, right. and you're trying to find a spot. So it's just and it crazy. turns out on your app that he's a, a thief, a porch 
you know, he's stealing packages off porches and we've got him on camera. And it's like, no, the poor guy delivered your package. Like now he's going to get pulled over by the cops in the next town. (laughs) Like, you know, so yeah, we do live in a fear-based society. But again, like my question comes back to how do we as dads fix that or begin to make that a safer place? Like my kid has a huge amount of freedom compared to a lot of kids. Like, all the time parents are like you're just gonna let your kid do that right uh yeah i mean we went hiking i went hiking with the men's group mm-hmm. men and boys you know and my son's like i'm gonna take this trail well my son's very well to north south east and west he's got very good direction you could see the parking lot we parked in that was a couple miles away maybe you know and he's like i'm gonna take this trail i'm like all right see you later and all the other dads are like you're just gonna let your kid walk off I'm like, what's going to happen? Well, what if he gets lost? Um, He's not going to get lost, for one. I have pretty good confidence in that. And number two, if he does, like, I know generally where he's at. Now, what if he gets bit by a rattlesnake? Okay, what if he gets bit by a rattlesnake walking five feet in front of me? Like, I can go through what ifs all day, but my kid's going to be fine. You know, when we got to the edge of where we were walking and it was kind of a rocky cliff down to where you could see the city. And I went to my son and I'm like, dude, you're not the old, there's a lot of little kids here. So just kind of set a good example. Okay. Turned around and climbed down the rock cliff. And all the other dads were like, Oh, I don't know if I want my kid doing that. And I'm like, sorry, like, I'm not going to stop my kid from pressing his limits because you're fearful that your kid's going to get hurt. Like your kid's going to get hurt because you're worried about it. Mm-hmm. you know because you're standing there with your helicopter dad being like oh be careful right. you know and again my kid didn't have a mom so there was never that balance in his life of right. i just let him go i'm like do it you know if you want to try it by all means that's gonna hurt i guarantee you it's gonna hurt yeah. go ahead you know there was never a mom being like oh well you know and like his stepdad he just started dating this girl and he hit his head one day and she's like oh let's put some ice on it and you know totally mommed him Mm-hmm. And we came home and he's like, I don't ever want to get hurt around that lady again. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's how most moms are. Like, that's what most kids go through when they get hurt. His mom comes and saves them. And he's like, that was horrible. Like, I'd much rather just because he gets hurt and he just wants to deal with it like we do. You know, mm-hmm. oh, that hurt. Give me five minutes to calm down and get over the pain. And then we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. You know, so he does have those masculine traits. But again, I just want to figure out, I'm trying to figure out as our generation, yeah. how we make the next generation better, yeah. you know, and I don't know that that's the definition of what I'm after, but mm-hmm. complete, like you said, you want to be a complete person. You want to have all aspects of your life yeah. equal. And I think that's an important trait that we need to pass to the next generation. The question is, how do we get that yeah. beyond you and I in a podcast and who's going to listen? And Right. Well, I think it's different for, for, you know, boys or young men and young ladies it's it, there's differences too like with my son one of the things that I always wanted to do with him is I wanted him to like you said Dan to push his boundaries right you know when we were oh I don't know how many years ago six six seven years ago we uh we did and again it was kind of one of those kicking and screaming things not not literally he was like 15 or 16 but um maybe 17 but he, he got to the point where he 
I set out and I said, no, before you, before you graduate, I want us to do like a long hike on the Appalachian Trail. I love to hike as well. Right. And so it was, I think we did on that stretch, I think we did 45 miles or 54 wow. miles in a few days. It was fun backpacking, like the, you know, right. packing back and stuff. And so we did some training for it and it was, his attitude was terrible for much of that, honestly. But, <laughs> but part of it too, as I realized, no, you were actually going to overcome some things. Right. I, what I knew as a dad was something that he didn't know as a young man. Right. I knew that the only way that a young man has confidence as a young man is if he can help answer the question, do I have what it takes? Because that's the question that every man is right. long to have answered. Do right. I have what it takes? Can I handle this situation? Will I be able to, to handle a, a, a marriage? Will I be able to handle this job? Will I be able to handle this, this relationship? Will I be able to handle bills? Will I be able to handle living on my own? Will I be able to handle having a car? You know, so right. there's, there's so many different ways to kind of help prove that along the way. And I don't think we have time to probably dig into all that, but but that's what I, that's what i tried to instill in him. And on that hike, it was, you know, once we got out there, it was great. We were, we were crazy. We we're out there singing like Beatles songs. I mean, we were just having a blast, just singing out on the trail. And, and if you've hiked, you know, that's not a place to do any singing. He's like so serene. Everybody's like all quiet. We're like, the heck with this. Like, we're going to have some fun. We're singing, you know, just whatever. Right. You know, just having fun, making memories. But I knew what he didn't know or what he didn't know at the time. Right. Was I knew that he had to be stretched to help answer that question. And it's the same thing for me as a man now. I, you know, do I have what it takes? I want to stretch myself emotionally, relationally, physically, right. intellectually. Yep. That's really, that's the, the, the four main tenets of my work at A New Kind of Man is, is I want to be stretched intellectually and relationally and spiritually, right? physically. I want to be stressed in these areas. And my job as a man is to continue to grow in those areas. It's, it's the same thing as working out. You don't grow unless you work something out and you fatigue it and, and you break it down a little bit and then it grows back stronger and better. Right. Yeah. You can't read about doing push-ups. You can't. <laughs> you're like oh that's awesome yes i just read about a guy who did 200 push-ups now I've, now i'm jacked you right, know right. i feel great <laughs> you gotta pound them out you know so it's it's you know anyway it's all and that might be i mean what you just said might be the difference between our generation and the last right like they might not have wanted to i mean i don't know how inside you don't feel that but they might have been okay with not growing you know what I mean? Like I'm providing for my family and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do as a man. That might've been their expectations of being a man. Right. I have to provide for my family, put a roof over the head. Like I never went without a meal. I never went without clean clothes. Like I never went without in my entire life. Right. You know, and like doing this, it has been financially stressful over the last year. You know, I still have my full-time job and things are fine, but I could talk to my son and I'm like, look, I, you're almost 11. I have to find purpose to my life rather than raising you. Like you are my purpose, but I have to give to something bigger than this. Right. And I told him, I'm like, it's going to be tight. Like, I'm not just going to be able to say yes to every single thing you ask me for. Mm -hmm. And I said, but I also in no way ever want to hear you say that you're struggling or that your life is hard. 
I'm like, because you don't understand the definition of either of those two things. And hopefully you never will. Right. Right. But if it comes out of your mouth, I will take you and show you the definition of struggling in life is hard. Like you have no clue. <laughs> yeah. So what I, you know, you said that about making life being hard and that's one of those things. It's, that's how they learn resilience. Right. You know, like uh, with my daughter, she's, she's very smart. She's so much more book smart than, than I was right um, at all. And I was a late bloomer, uh, much to do with just late maturity. And then things finally started to come together, honestly. And um, as, as I went further along in college, I got better, but, in, you know, intellectually. But with her, the way that, uh, that she kind of views the world and the way that she lives, uh, my, my way of trying to parent her is, I understand those are her strengths, but she, she's not going to learn in her strengths. She's going to actually be stretched when she's put to the test and maybe they tell her no. Like right. she tried to get into a, a club of sorts, like a leadership development thing in our community last year. Mm-hmm. She was denied. So she tried again this year and she tried in two different areas. She right. was, we still don't know the result of one of them, but she made it into the other one. And the other one is, is like something through Chick-fil-A that like their leadership Academy. It's great. Right. It's a big deal. She learned a lot more through the failure last year than what she did through that success this year. Right. Absolutely. Because it's the testing. That's the resilience. That's what this generation is lacking. They need to, they need to be stretched and to stretch them. That means that there are times where we, we can't just swoop in and save them. Right. We have to let them feel the weight of their consequences. Right. You know, and I, and I think I suffered through that with my depression and going through his mom, like when he lost his mom, to me, it was a huge unfairness. And my kid has every single financial material thing that any 10 year old on the planet has like never has gone without. And I think it was two years ago, my mom pulled me to the side and she's like, you have to stop. Hmm. She's like, there's nothing you can buy this kid that's going to replace his mom. Yeah. And she's like, and I understand what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing. And she's like, but it has to come to an end. Like eventually you're going to run out of stuff to buy him. Like it's just how it goes. But I mean, Hmm. when I say that, like, I'm not kidding as a PlayStation four and Xbox one, two TVs, two bikes, a scooter, a skate. I mean, everything a 10 year old could imagine having Hmm. my kid has and all the his friends are like, dude, I love coming to your house because you just have everything, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, now we're getting into the point of, okay, well, that's not how the world works. Right. Like, and it was a huge disservice that I gave to him, you know, but again, he has a job now. He makes his own money. He spends it how he wants. And I hope that he saves some of it, but mm-hmm. I'm not the most financially perfect person. Mm-hmm. You know, I went through the same thing you said earlier in my twenties and thirties. I'm like, Oh yeah, credit card. Sweet. I can have it right now. Yeah. You know, and now I'm in my forties and I'm like, well, I still got to pay back 30 grand in debt. And <laughs> right. I have no idea what I spent that $30,000 on, but I'm now paying it back. Right. You know, and I'm starting to the point where it's like, okay, all my money used to spend on you and me is now going to paying off the last eight years of spending money on you and me, (laughs) you know, and teaching him that lesson, you know, but last year he was in wrestling Mm -hmm. and he lost all three matches Mm -hmm. and they called his name up for, you know, a participation award. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm like, dude, I swear to God, if you get up and go take that award, like you're done wrestling. (laughs) Good for you. Yeah. And I mean, he looked at me and he's like, what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, just sit here. And I'm like, you're not taking that. 
you know, and we got up and we left. And the next day at wrestling practice, his coach came over and he's like, hey, your son forgot this. I'm like, my son did not forget that. And like my son lost all three matches, all three. Like it wasn't like he won one. He didn't win anything. And like he does not get rewarded because he lost. He needs to learn. That's yeah. not something you get rewarded for. Like, yes, you went in and you tried and you did your best, but you still lost. Like that has to be a consequence. And the coach is like, well, everyone gets rewards. And I'm like, okay, well, I won't be in your wrestling program next year. If that's how this is going to go down. Right. You know, like I don't understand that philosophy of sports. Like why put your kid in sports if they don't learn the concept of losing? Right. Yeah. And for me, so we never really got into that. Um, my kids were really kind of brought into that, just the absurdity of that and of right. just everybody gets a trophy. Right. Um, we have those conversations when they're really young of saying, no, you, what you, you know, in losing three wrestling matches. Right. So what I probably would have said to, not to, not to your son, because it sounds like you handled that. <laughs> I would, I like, exactly. Like I would have really close. Right. It's, to somebody else, I would have said, you know what? He doesn't need a participation award. He actually got rewarded because his character was shaped by those three losses. Because next year, if he wrestles again, he's going to try harder and he learned a lot. Right. So he, he may have lost as far as a trinket that goes on a shelf. But what he gained was something so much more valuable and that is strength of character. Right. No, and that's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like this year, they're playing football. They've lost every game. I mean, blown out every single game, you know, and he comes home and he's like, this is stupid. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, you know what though? What you feel is hard and is stupid. I'm like these other kids. Cause there's one school or one group of kids that have been together for years. Their team has been together with a coach for years. They are the best team in the league. Hmm. And I'm like, the problem is son. I'm like, they're going to get to high school and they're going to get on a team that is not the best team in the league. And 50% of those kids are going to quit playing football, even though they love it because they're not on the best team. Yeah. And I'm like, and the other half is going to cry and complain and bitch and moan for the whole year. I'm like, they're not going to know how to lose. I'm like, that is a trait you have to understand. Like I want you to be the best loser on your team. I want you to go shake hands with every single other opponent. Like I want you to cheer your teammates up and say, you know what? We scored. We did better than we did last week. We got a touchdown. Yeah. You know, point out the good things and be the best loser on the team. And I'm like, because I promise you, people are going to respect that more than anyone that wins all the time. 100%. You know, and I mean, it's hard to teach your kid that because it's hard to say, yeah, you lost, you know. And the other thing I realized, though, is how many of these kids are ridiculed and disciplined by their parents for the way they play a game at 10 years old. Well, it's the same. It's a very similar dynamic than what I talked about earlier. I wasn't like that with my son where I wasn't like hovering over in that way. But it's, it's rooted in the same thing. It's them, you know, having their kids live out their own childhood fantasies. Right. Right. You but know? your kid your kid loses a football game, and I've heard the parents, like, right. you should have played better. I can't believe you fumbled that football. You should have done this. It's like, dude, he's 10. Right. And he just lost a football game. Right. Like, the last thing he needs is to be told what he did wrong. Yeah. You know, and I'm super sensitive to it because that's how I grew up. Sure. Like, I was told what I did wrong. It was never what I did right, always what I did wrong. Mm -hmm. And I try very hard with my kid. I don't always say what you did right, but I try very hard not to emphasize what you did wrong. Like, you know you lost. Right. I don't need to bring that up to you. You got mm -hmm. that. <laughs> you know, you saw the other team score. Like, you got it. Mm -hmm. You know, what I want you to do is be the best loser you can and come out next week better. 
Yeah. You know, and like there was a point in practice that they were messing around him and one of his buddies. And I know the other kid's dad, so I knew what I was saying was okay. But there was a bunch of moms sitting there. And these two were messing around in practice. And I'm like, hey, you come here. And they both came over to me and they're like, what? I'm like, you know who's going to appreciate you giving 80% at practice? And they both looked at me and they were like, what? And I'm like, the other team that's given 100 fucking percent, that's who. I'm like, go out and practice. And all these moms' heads turned on a swivel. Like, I can't believe you just spoke to your kid like that. And I looked over and I'm like, just so you know, I was being nice. Like, hmm. I just want them to understand if they want to dick around, they're going to lose all season. Right. You know, so that, I mean, that teaching your kids that, I think is something that a lot of parents lack. Yeah. Like I said, it's a lot of negative. Oh, you should have done better. Oh, I can't believe we keep losing. You build your kid up. Like, for the love of Pete, like, give your kids something to look forward to rather than, oh, great, I'm on a crappy team with crappy kids. Right. <laughs> you know, so, um, I mean, I know we've been on here a while, so do you have anything in closing that you want to say? And we can wrap this up and maybe meet again later down the road. Yeah, I would just say if, uh, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing and kind of getting your message out there. Your message is unique and, uh, and, and your story needs to be heard by other people. So I want to say thanks for doing what you're doing and thanks for this opportunity. If somebody would like to connect with me uh, just in hearing the podcast, maybe they've heard some of uh, my story, my messaging. Right. If you want to touch base with me, you can hit me up on my website. At, it's www.banewman.com. Or through Instagram, I'm very active on Instagram, and my handle is at a new kind of man. Awesome, and I will copy this and put it on Instagram so everyone will see both of us and all of our tags and all that stuff. So awesome, yeah, and thank you for coming on. And I hope, like I said, I hope in the future you and I can get back together and kind of continue this conversation. Yep, sounds good. Awesome, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Yeah, have a great day, Chad. Thank you.